0: Where did you say you would live if you could live anywhere? Italy? Italy? Oh, wow. There's a lot of Italys. Argentina? Did I hear Argentina? Argentina. Wow, that's surprising. Um, What else? Costa Rica? I heard Costa Rica. Someone said Hawaii. That doesn't count. It's not another country. Spain? All right. Um, I had someone, you know, say to me, I know what you would choose, what other country you would live in. And I said, what? And they said, Alabama. And I'm like, is, (laughs) I I take offense to that? Like, what? Um, So other countries. So one thing that you find out pretty quickly in most other countries, not other countries, is one thing that you discover is that when you arrive in another country, you find out fairly quickly how different you are. And you think they're different but they remind you pretty quickly, no, you're the different one. You're the one who doesn't belong here. Or maybe you belong here for a short time, but you need to learn some things to get along in this culture. So quick story And this may go somewhere. Uh, Joe Webb and Christy Webb, his wife, Joe's one of our worship leaders, and Robin, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to spend some time in in Europe with some young pastors, young church leaders, just encouraging them and talking about the challenges of ministry in the postmodern world. And so we spent some time there and we thought to ourselves, since we're in Europe, we should travel a little bit while we're here. So where do you wanna go in Europe if you're in the middle of Europe? And, and we all answered the question like many of you did. Let's go to Italy. We've heard great things about Italy. Let's get a train pass. Someone said, just get a train pass and just go wherever you want. Yeah, the Euro Rail and just go. And so we decided to do this and we marked out like our path of where we wanted to go and where we were gonna stop and all of those things. And I'll never forget this. We, We found our way one day. We went through um, Pisa, the Leaning Tower. Have you ever heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? And we were quickly, there's nothing else there in that town, so we went to the Leaning Tower and saw the Leaning Tower, and we were quickly rushing to get the next train, and Christy Webb, I'll never forget, she said, whoa, whoa, can we eat pizza looking at the Leaning Tower of Pisa? (laughs) And we did. And so we sat and ate pizza, looking at the Leaning Tower. If you've ever been there, you can see there's a little courtyard across the way. So we did that, and we got on the train, and we ended up that night in Siena. Siena is in the Tuscany area of Italy. So we get to where we're going to stay, and we say to the, the um, it's like an Airbnb kind of thing. We say to them, we want to go to a, I mean, an Italian restaurant that locals would go to. Like, I don't, we don't want to go somewhere that you send all the tourists to, because we obviously aren't tourists. We're like locals. <laughs> so can you send us where you would send the locals, like your family coming, to people that you love, would you send us? And they said, yes, we will send you there. So what you need to do is you need to walk down this road and go for about a mile or five and <laughs> take a left and you're almost there. Go another few miles, what felt like miles, walk up the way, and there's a restaurant, and it's the best in town. You're going to love it. It's not anywhere near Siena. It's way out. It was Halloween night. It was October the 31st, and so we start making our way. Now, if you've ever been to Italy, you know they don't eat dinner at 5 or 6 o'clock. They eat dinner at 8 or 9, so it's Halloween. We are in places that I would never choose to go in the dark, in places that I don't know where I am. And we make our way to this restaurant and we show up in the restaurant and we realize very quickly how different we are. Um, We sit down, we, we found out that no one in the restaurant speaks English. Not a problem. Surely the menu will be in English absolutely not, because we asked for the most authentic Italian restaurant. So they bring the menu. There's one word on the menu that we recognize, bisteca, And we're like, that's got to be steak. And so when the server comes and asks us, we're like, I don't know, bistecca? Like this? And she's like, okay, um, bistecca. And we're like, two. And she's like, not two. And we're like, no, no two bisteca, two steaks, because there's a lot of like... T- and, and, and finally we just decide to have faith and trust that they're gonna bring us some good food and we just put the menus aside and we're like, just bring us food, just bring us food. They start bringing us food. Like in Italy, there's like 20 courses. It was awesome. It was so good until we got the bill, but it was so good. <laughs> and we, re- we realize they're laughing at us, not with us at this point. And so we get to the end of the evening. Some of you are like, this, does this story have a point? And we trusted, those in the restaurant to bring us. And I took a picture, we got a picture at the end. They wanted a picture of us that they could laugh at for years to come. So here we were in Italy, outside of Siena, somewhere. No one here, so this is the owner of the restaurant. They were like, they told the owner, they're like, you've got to come meet these people. They're idiots. I I can't speak their language, but I'm pretty sure that's what they said. And so um, that's the owner and uh, one of our servers and that's the cook on the on the right not joe but the one next to joe that's the cook and it was the best meal i will never ever forget this meal for many different reasons part of which is that um we were so different and we had to just trust what they were going to bring to us i don't know what we ate that night it was awesome We realized when they brought the steaks out, the reason she said we didn't need more than one steak is because it was like a side of beef that they put on our table. And so we had two sides of beef. Um, I, I learned that they don't cook meat in Italy, they just bring you the raw stuff and just put it on the table and that's it. And it was incredible. But you quickly realize how different you are when you don't speak the language, when you can't read, the menu, when you have no idea what is put in front of you, but you just have to take a step of faith. The series that we're beginning today is based on a book out of the New Testament called First Peter. It's a letter that Peter wrote, and it's a letter of encouragement. Have you ever read Encouragement and you, you wondered, like, how is that encouragement like there's some disappointment in it as well. Sometimes I read in the, in the New Testament and I'm like, I mean, I'm sure this is supposed to be encouragement, but it's also like confusing as encouragement. Peter writes this encouragement to some Christians, and I think, as I have been looking and studying 1 Peter, I think this is incredibly relevant to us in our world today, to many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. And so what I want us to do over the next few weeks is just dig in little pieces by pieces and begin to ask the question of where have we placed our faith? And, and it's a good question regardless of what you believe about God. Where have you placed your faith? What is at the center of your faith and your hope? And some of you might say, well, what is faith? What does that even mean? Where have you placed your trust? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? And I think that's the question and where Peter leads us. So there's a couple questions. I'm going to ask you a couple really difficult questions today, okay? Are you with me? Some of you are with me. I'm going to get the rest of you there eventually. So there's this statement that Paul, not Peter, Paul makes. um, We have Peter, Paul, and Mary at some point. But here's the one that um, Paul asks, or the statement that he makes. We walk by faith and not by sight. He makes this statement, we walk, as followers of Jesus, we walk by faith, not by sight, which is an interesting statement, and it's one that Peter kind of digs into a little bit more. Now, 1 Peter is a letter that he wrote to many Christians who were being persecuted. This is what he says to them. This letter is from Peter. So right up front, he tells them, this is who it's from. It's from Peter. I'm an apostle of Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. I'm one of his spokesmen. So I'm a, an apostle of Jesus, and I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in this world. Now go with me. Do you, do you realize why I asked you the question, what different country would you live in? Are you with me? See, sometimes they all tie together. Peter is telling followers of Jesus, you are foreigners or exiles in this world. And it's such an important thing to remember That ultimately, this world is not our home. It's only temporary. Now, here's the encouragement. So are you ready for some encouragement? He says, I'm writing. No, wait, go back, go back, go back. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people. And some of you in this room, you don't feel like God's chosen people, but you are. I want you to hear that. You are God's chosen people. Now, some of you aren't smiling. You should smile. That's a good thing. God has chosen you. He's... He's chosen to adopt you into his family. Listen, God is love, and he chooses us all. You are chosen. Now, we have a part to play in whether or not we step into his family. I mean, that's, that's up to you. That's up to me. Are we going to walk into the adoption that we have received? But make no mistake, God wishes no one to be left out of his family. Like God's desire, love, is for everyone to be in his family. So God has chosen you. That's good news. Come on, if you don't hear anything else, hear that today. You're chosen. Whether or not you believe it or receive it, you are chosen. And there is a reason that you're here today. God has a purpose in bringing you to a place where you might recognize and receive the truth that you're chosen and adopted into the family. You may not feel like you belong anywhere else, but you belong in God's family. Come on now, church. You belong. You're chosen, and you're adopted into his family. So he continues. So I'm encouraged by that. I hope you are too. God knew you, and he chose you long ago. One of the things another writer in Scripture says is when we were at our worst, God still chose us. He gave his best. This reminds me. Like long ago, I don't know about you, but I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. Anybody made mistakes in your life? That's a trick question. Everybody, we've all made mistakes. When you were at your worst, when you felt like you were unlovable, unworthy, unchoosable, God still chooses you. He chose you and he sent his best for you. He chose you long ago. And his spirit made you holy, that word holy is a confusing word for us, but it it definitely, it it means set apart or it means called out. God, uh, God made you holy, set apart. This is not of your own doing. Come on, this is some more good news and this is some encouragement that you don't have to work your way into God's family. It's done. God has already paid what needs to be paid. The ransom is finished and complete you have a way into God's family, and you don't have to earn it. Come on, that is good news for all of us as well, right? Like, you don't have to earn what God has given you. It's up to him. He has set you apart. He's called you out. You are different because of the mark that he put on you. You're different because of the mark God put on you. And as a result, you've obeyed him, You've stepped into the adoption, but it's not your obedience that has cleansed you. You have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Like God has paid the debt for you. You're in, done, complete. Man, I'm so thankful for God's grace. At this point in the letter, I'm like encouraged. I'm like, this is such good news. It's such good news that I don't have to be a better person To earn my way back to God? God loves me just as I am. God loves you just as you are. Come on, smile about that. Sometimes, like, I I feel like we get to church and we feel like we're supposed to be serious, but listen, when there's good news, you can smile. You can be encouraged. You've been chosen. God's paid everything that needs to be paid. But the truth is, we're all just passing through. We're exiles, we're foreigners. And everything that we can see, and we know this, I mean, internally, we know this to be true, everything that we can see and touch and feel here is only temporary. My dad used to say it this way, you brought nothing into this world, and you can take nothing out. He also says things like, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. You remember that when your parents said that? I'm like I'm pretty sure you'd be arrested if you did that but okay. <laughs> Listen, and it's true. You brought nothing in and it doesn't matter how hard you work and how much you make and what you acquire you can't take it with you. It's temporary. Come on. It's it's only temporary. We're just passing through. All of us are foreigners. We're exiles. This world is our, not our ultimate home. It's not the end. There's more than what you can see and what you can touch. And so here's the first difficult question, and it's a tough one. As I begin to, like, wrestle with it, it's, it's, it's a tough one for me to wrestle with. Do I live as if temporary things are the ultimate things? Am I living in such a way that I am believing that these temporary things in the world are actually ultimate things that I need to give my all to. Does that make sense? Now that's a tough question if you really, really ask it to yourself. Am I living in such a way that I believe my physical body, how it looks, how it's dressed, is the ultimate thing? Now I'm stepping on some toes. Am I living in such a way? Am I spending in such a way? Am I, um, my time, my money, it, it, is that reflective that I believe what is only temporary is eternal? Do I believe that? Am I acquiring in such a way, and I, look, I understand, and I believe you should save for retirement. Come on. I've got some financial advisors in the room I see, and you would agree with me. You should save for retirement. Some of you are retired. You agree? You You should. And some of you are like, I should have started earlier. I knew I'd get an amen somewhere. Like, you should. Like, you shouldn't live haphazardly. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is that you shouldn't make temporary things. You shouldn't um, transfer what is temporary to what is eternal. Because it just doesn't matter how much you acquire. One day it will be gone and it will do nothing for you. Now listen, some of you have run into moments in your life where you've you've hit challenges or suffering or trials in such a way that you would give everything you have today to fix what's broken. And you and I both know you can't do it. Why? Because those things aren't eternal things. They're just temporary Last week, I mentioned this passage, and I'll just mention it again real quick. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you just fit in without even thinking. I mean, this is so important for us as followers of Jesus that we don't just go with the flow in such a way that eventually we take on all of the, the picture of what culture believes is so important. Culture will fill in the gaps. If you don't have priorities, culture has priorities for you. Don't live in such a way that you just take on all the priorities of what's going on around you and you don't think about what is most important and what is eternal. So, okay, back to, um, back to Peter. Some of you are like, are we going to get back to Peter? Back to Peter. The encouragement, the, the, you're chosen, not your home. Don't live in such a way as what is temporary is eternal because it's not. So, back to Peter. All praise to God who is the father of Jesus. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, that we've been remade into a living hope. And this is through the resurrection of Jesus. Again, this is not our own. So what what Peter is saying is he's trying to build into their minds that, that we as Christians are not hopeless. We have a hope that has come about, we have actually a living hope, and it's come about by what we've seen in Jesus. What we've seen in Jesus, what has been testified about Jesus. Now I know there's many people in the room who would say, I don't know if I believe what they say about Jesus is true. And that's something that I understand, I get that. It's difficult because we've never seen him face to face. And so sometimes it's tough to like, how could a a dead man come back to life and There's there's so many reasons why it's difficult to believe that, but there's also many reasons to trust that, even when you can't prove it. And so what Peter is trying to help them understand is that what we see in Jesus actually can take place in us. This is how N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, he says, becoming a Christian means what God did for Jesus at Easter, he does for you in the very depth of your being, and that's good news. That the life that Jesus experienced at Easter is a life that you can experience deep within your being and then then it begins to come out in the way that you live. And he goes on. So Peter goes on. We live with great expectation. There's an inheritance for us which is kept pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change, decay. Like there's an inheritance for us. And then he says, so be truly glad. Rejoice. Rejoice. Even though this is not your home, be very glad and rejoice because there is coming a better day. Did anybody read the verse of the day in Version yet? Oh, some of you are like, you're the pastor. I think I'm supposed to say yes, but I don't know what it is. Yes, maybe. Um, The verse of the day today was found in, is, is from Revelation. And I don't have it on the screens, but in Revelation, God says, That at the end of time, which is actually the beginning of time, he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more pain or suffering or death or decay. None of that will exist because God will set all things to right. Now, isn't that awesome? And so even though we live in a world where there is death and decay and all these things, we can be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though we must endure trials for a little while. Now, here's, um, here's where I want to call you back. So if you've drifted off for a couple minutes, come back just for, just for a few here. Some of you are walking through um, pain and suffering and trials and challenges, and you feel overwhelmed by the circumstances you're facing today. Some of you in this room, um, it's interesting, as I was like preparing for today and thinking through, um, I began to have uh, pictures in my, my mind of people in our church who are just walking through the unthinkable, and I thought about them when I was reading this passage, and some of you sitting here today, like you feel it right now, even when I just say it, you feel it because you know what's right ahead of you or what you're walking through in the midst of this moment. And I look around the room, and I see some of you, and I know how much pain, and you don't want anyone else to know, and you're like, Matt, I'm going to act like I'm not looking at you right now because I don't want to cry. I know. I, 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 there is this pain and this suffering. And we read something like this, and we think there is wonderful joy ahead, but what about right now? This is hard. It's not fair. If God loved me, why this? And if you're not there right now, and you've never been there, hold on, because it's coming. Someone told me, you're either walking out of a challenge or trial, you're walking into one, or you're in the middle of one. Like all of us, it's one thing that we have in common, every single one of us. Who Peter's writing to, Peter's writing to Christians who are experiencing um, persecution at the hands of Nero. Have you ever heard of Nero? Man, he was brutal. I'll just tell you one story of what he did. Well, he killed his mother. He killed his wife. I think he might have killed his second wife. Yeah, good guy, huh? He hated Christians. And he went around and he hunted Christians down. And he, he, he captured Christians and he did things like this. This is, you can read this in, in some of the, the histories, um, Josephus. And he would dip Christians in wax, living Christians in wax, and bind them to trees. And he would throw parties at night in, in Rome and he would light Christians on fire, living the wax covering them. Yeah, that, that's like what they're facing. And Peter writes, be truly glad. There's great joy ahead. Can you imagine? And listen, I'm, I'm going to step on some toes. Some of, us, some of you feel like we're being persecuted in the world today. And, and maybe some of you are. We're not being persecuted like they were being persecuted. Like when he's talking about persecution here, he's talking about persecution. Like hunted down, put on sticks, and burned alive. Persecution. I mean, it's hard for us to even imagine that, isn't it? I mean, it's hard for us to imagine that. He says, be truly glad. And here's what he goes on to say. These trials, Peter's saying the things that you're running into, the suffering, the pain, these trials will show that your faith is genuine, that your hope that your, that your trust and your hope in, in God is genuine. In other words, trials expose what we believe to be true. Does that make sense? Like when you run into difficult things, it, it simply exposes the, the heart of what you believe. And, and your, your faith, regardless of what your faith is in, now stay with me, regardless of what your faith is in, suffering will expose what your faith is. It just exposes it. You, you, you lose a child, it exposes what you believe to be true. It just does. You lose a job, it exposes what you believe to be true. You lose all your retirement in a downturn of the economy, it exposes what you believe to be true. It, it exposes where you've placed your trust. That's what he's saying. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, that, that our faith begins to, to be exposed. And, and what we find is if our faith in Christ is genuine. So I looked that up. What's, what's an antonym for genuine? So if there's genuine faith, there must be the antonym of it. And so I looked it up, and the, the word that popped up was bogus. And I thought, that's funny. I'm going to use that. So we have genuine faith, and we have bogus faith. That's the first word that popped up, the antonym. When I typed in antonym for genuine, it was bogus. And I thought, oh, that's a good word, bogus. So genuine faith, bogus faith, we're exposed. Um, This is what happens when we walk through trials is that what we have deep within us is exposed. And um, I told you I was gonna say a couple difficult things. Here's what I find to be true for me and at times for, for others is that when our, when our faith is truly exposed, we find, at times, a faith that has only been inherited or a faith that is conditional. And that would be bogus faith. That we would say, because my parents had faith, I have faith. It's inherited. And when we, when, when we now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I think it's awesome when we pass the faith from generation to generation and the Bible speaks of that. We can't, when we face trials, it exposes if we simply believe that because someone else had it, I have it too. Like we have to develop and own our own faith. And when we run into suffering and trials, oftentimes it exposes like, I don't know that I really believe that. Or conditional it's not anchored it's just tossed by the wind and the waves from here to there when we when we walk into these difficult moments our faith is exposed and we begin to see what do i really believe and here's what i believe about those moments you might think that sounds really bad like matt you're dissing on me i'm not because God will use the exposed faith that you have or don't have to, to draw you closer to him. God will not waste any pain or suffering in your life. He will draw you closer to him if, if you'll look to him. He'll draw you in. Um, Stephen Furtick. One of the pastors I listened to at times, he said this in a sermon a long time ago. Faith is believing in advance for what you can... Oh, no, he didn't say this. Philip Yancey said this. Faith is believing in advance for what you can only understand in reverse. Isn't that interesting? Faith is, is believing in advance for something that you can only understand or, 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 or get in reverse. And here's where I know that to be true. When I was, when I was growing up and I played football, running was punishment. I hated it. Come on, any other athletes who hated running? Come on, be honest. It was terrible. It was punishment. If I didn't do what I was supposed to do, the coach made me run. Thanks a lot, John. Like, I just, John's a coach, sorry. Sometimes I just chase rabbits. Anyway, running was punishment. I hated it. But here's what coaches knew, and here's what I've eventually learned, that the pain of the running in the moment actually prepares me for the future that I need. The pain in the moment can actually bring about something better in the future. Faith is believing in advance what we can only understand in reverse. Here's another passage. Um, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind Troubles of any kind come your way. Consider an opportunity for joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete. You will be mature when you allow those things to shape you, when you let God, His Spirit, to form that faith deep within you. Here's what Stephen Furtick said. The thing that has caused you the greatest pain may be the very thing that produces the most power in your life. That's good. The thing, well, the thing that has at, at times caused the most pain in my life is the, is the divorce of my parents. I'm just gonna be honest, it's, it's painful. When I think about uh, the breakup of our family when I was a freshman in high school, it brings a lot of pain. We were, we were back in Alabama, um, and my parents sometimes watch the sermon. I love my parents, they, they did so much for me. Uh, I'm so thankful, and they know this because we've talked about it. Sometimes it creates the most pain. Like, it's so challenging for me when I think back um, like what that did. We were just in Alabama, and I drove past my childhood home, and it just brings emotion and all of that, you know? I think one of, one of the things that God has used most in my life is to speak into the life of those who are walking through divorce, speaking to kids whose, whose family has gone through a, a divide. I, I think God has used my greatest pain to this day, my greatest pain in a powerful way. When we allow him to do that, when we allow him to shape, and it doesn't make it any easier, but it's just true that maybe the thing that causes you the greatest pain could be the greatest power. Jesus said, I've told you these things so you might have peace. I've told you these things so you might have peace. You will have trouble in this world. He, he makes no bones about it, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I mean, Jesus said we would have trouble. Um, like a megaphone, here's, here's what suffering and pain does. Like a megaphone, suffering interrupts life and turns our attention to the ultimate things. It, it just pulls us to consider what is most important in life. That's what suffering does. Pain pulls our attention, and helps us think about ultimate things. So here's here's the other difficult question I was going to ask you about being different. Is my faith genuine and secure, and have I anchored my soul to God? Have, Have you anchored your soul to what is unchangeable, and that is the God of the past, the present, and the future? Have you anchored your soul to him? And when you continue reading 1 Peter, you find this. Prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope into the gracious salvation that that will come when Jesus Christ is revealed. Don't forget temporary, temporary, temporary. Don't don't turn what is temporary to what is eternal. Don't, don't rest in this idea that, that because someone else had faith, you automatically have faith. Like, dig into your own faith. What do you trust? What do you believe? Where do you anchor your soul? And if it's, when you've walked through challenges, struggles, trials, if it's exposed something, pay attention to it and let God draw you close to him. Fix your mind. As Christians, this is why we're different. Because our faith, our faith isn't built on what we can see. This is what makes Christianity different. It's not based on what we can see and figure out and understand in the here and now. Our faith is anchored to who God is. And listen, God is unchanging. He has always loved you. He loves you today. And he will never stop loving you. And God, the Father of all creation, has done everything possible to bring you into his family. And he will not leave you alone in anything. How good is that? We're going to sing um, one last song. And it's a beautiful song. It's called um, There's Another in the Fire. And it was born out of this story in Scripture. Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Crazy names, right? Right? What would you name your child? Abednego. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Hope he never wants to spell it. There's this story where the culture around them, Nebuchadnezzar, another great name, makes some declarations of how people in his kingdom will live, how the culture will be set up. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they decide... Um, they're not just going to go with the flow. They're going to fix their eyes on God. And um, it's a crazy story. And I know sometimes we read these stories and we're like, man, I just, it's so tough to believe. But here's what the story says, is because they refused to bow down and, and just go with the flow of culture, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. And the story goes that when uh, they peered into the furnace... That they didn't just see the ones who were thrown in there, but there was another one. There was another figure in the fire with those that they threw in. And that's where this song comes from. It makes this simple statement that there's another in the fire. When I'm going through the most difficult moments of my life, I can I can be assured by faith that I'm not alone. And I want you to hear that today. You're not alone. You'll never be alone. God will never give up on you. God will never give up on you. He loves you more than you'll ever imagine. Would you stand with me? And as we sing this song, um, you have an opportunity to move around the room and respond in some different ways. There's candles at the back of the room, which represents God's presence. Maybe you want to light a candle, ask God's presence to come alive in you. Maybe you want to take communion as a reminder of what God did to adopt you into his family. His son gave his life willingly on the cross. Would you bow your heads with me? And um, as your heads are bowed, no one kind of looking around, um, just out of respect for those around you, I I just, I'm going to say a prayer over you, but I want to know if, if, if there's some in the room who are just going through trials and suffering and pain, I want to pray over you. So would you just lift your hand up just a little bit so I can see you? And, yeah. 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 And then, um, so I'm going to say a prayer over you, but then I also want to, if some of you are struggling in your faith, Or maybe you you're not even sure if you have faith but you want to anchor your soul in god would you just slip your hand up i just want to say a prayer over you as well if you're i see a couple of you yeah who are struggling maybe with faith and what that means for you so god um, in this moment um, in this world where there is suffering and pain and challenges and trials God, I pray that your spirit would walk with us. I pray that your spirit, with those in the room who raised their hands and said, I'm walking through something overwhelming. God, I pray that you would lift them up, that you would put your arm around them, that they would find safety in your shadow. And God, for those of us who are um, maybe struggling with faith, questioning faith, God, I pray that you would draw them close. I pray that we would fix our eyes on you, that we would anchor our soul to who you are, not what we see. God, thank you for the promise that we'll never be alone. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.